It's the Kim Munson Show, analyzing the most important stories. Socialization of transportation, education, energy, housing, and water. What it means is, is that government controls it through rules and regulations. The latest in politics and world affairs. Under this guise of bipartisanship and nonpartisanship, it's actually tapped down the truth. Today's current opinions and ideas. On an equal field in the battle of ideas, mistruths or misconceptions, and it is getting us into a world of hurt. Is it freedom or is it force? Let's have a conversation. Indeed, let's have a conversation and happy Monday to each and every one of you. Welcome to the Kim Munson Show. I am Kim Munson, and I so appreciate each and every one of you listening. You're each, you're treasured, you're valued, you have a purpose, live with intention, and take care of your heart, your soul, your mind, and your body, and strive for excellence. So thank you so much for joining us, and thank you to this great team that I get to work with. That's producer Steve, Zach, Patty, Keith, Charlie, and all the people here at Crawford Broadcasting. Happy Monday to you, Steve. You're going to make me say it, aren't you? Happy Monday. Happy Monday. That's for sure. We've got a lot of work to do. It's a Monday morning. A lot happening this week. I am so thrilled to have in studio with me Will Trackman, he is uh, really an impressive guy. He's the Associate General Counsel for Mountain States Legal Foundation, and he protects the rights of, of us, of individuals, so that we can live freely and securely under the U.S. Constitution. He was appointed to serve in the Department of Education as Deputy Assistant Secretary in the Office for Civil Rights. And prior to that, he served as General, General Counsel to the Douglas County School District, and where he helped litigate that fight on school choice. He is now the co-chair, he's also the co-chair of Colorado Federalist Society, a member of the U.S. Commission on Civil Rights Advisory Board. And what I find really interesting is he attended University of California, Berkeley for both his undergraduate and law school, and then clerked for the Tenth Circuit Court of Appeals. Will Trackman, that is pretty darn impressive. (laughs) How did you end up becoming a conservative when you attended Berkeley? Well, thanks, Kim. Uh, Thanks for the question. First, let me say happy Monday, gladly. (laughs) And no matter how much work you have to do this week, you or me, we have the most amount of time right now to get it done because it's early morning on Monday. So happy (laughs) Monday. For your question on Berkeley, you know, it's interesting. My father, uh, I grew up in Fresno, California, Central Valley, the jewel, the heart of California. And my father was a big fan of Ayn Rand. So I was always exposed at a young age to objectivism, to Atlas Shrugged, to the Fountainhead. Uh, He and his first wife, my sister's mother, uh, met Ayn Rand, studied with Ayn Rand. So I had that exposure. But going to Berkeley was a very different type of exposure. And I was... Uh, I learned a lot of liberal principles very early on in my college years. And I actually, I, I'll confess, I voted for Al Gore in 2000. <laughs> but but from there, after 9-11 especially, I started seeing sane people going the other way and smart people saying, you know, this Berkeley liberalism isn't the right way to go. We need more protection for our borders. We need to make sure that our, our nation is secure. And I just gravitated toward, toward conservatism, conservatism so much that by the end of my time at Berkeley, I was the only one there that uh, really, really uh, held the principles true. And not, I'm sorry, not the only one, but certainly I realized that conservatism for me was the way to go. That is so fascinating. So you got there. Of course, you had that bedrock with your father and Ayn Rand. But did you ever feel ostracized at Berkeley at all because of your views? Yes, of course. Uh, you know, the thing about the culture at Berkeley is that it can be somewhat... Um, intimidating. You know, if you are the person in class speaking up on behalf of conservative ideas, you have a target on your back from the from day one. 
So there's intimidation going on. But that doesn't mean that you can't do it, you know, especially back 20 years ago when I was going to school. Mm -hmm. Things were a little bit better in terms of cancel culture, in terms of how much you could get away with and still keep your friends, keep your teachers mm -hmm. on, your, on your good side. So I was able to portray something like a jolly conservative. I'm just a, a fighter <laughs> for my ideas. I'm not out there to hurt anyone or mm -hmm. get anyone uh, angry. I'm just out there to, to talk about the principles. And I thought that, that way of doing things ended up gaining me a lot of respect and, and, and actually friends on the other side. So much so that I participated in a debate in favor of the, the war in Iraq in Berkeley and actually persuaded some of the audience with a friend of mine who was debating to actually support at the time what we thought was going to be a, a short-term intervention. Mm -hmm. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, that is really fascinating. I have a feeling that it's different now than it was 20 years ago. I am so shocked, Will Trackman, about this cancel culture that is occurring and the shutting down of, of voices. I always thought that academia was the place where you could kick the tires on all these different ideas. And what we're seeing occur now is actually, it's astounding to me. Yeah, I agree. It's troubling and I think it's getting worse, to be frank. I don't think as we talk about academic freedom or free speech, you know, there are a lot of people that are saying, yeah, of course we believe in those things. But then when you put it to an actual example, it's getting worse. People are having their entire platforms removed. People are suffering in terms of their grades in colleges and schools around the country. And people just generally are afraid to speak out. So if my colleague at work or my neighbor is canceled, instead of standing up for that person, my initial reaction is often, well, I don't want it to happen to me next, so I'm just not going to say anything. Mm -hmm. But that sort of mentality is going to me mean that whoever wants to inflict cancel culture is going to prevail in the end of the day. Well, and if they're canceling your neighbor, at some point they'll be canceling you as well. Producer Steve, you look like you'd like to weigh in on this. <laughs> I'm going to be, I don't know, you're, you're going to stop inviting me to these conversations. Was it late last week? Mr. Potato Head, of all things, has now been targeted by the cancel culture. And it has me thinking, you know, my vivid imagination, is, is there some pinnacle mountain or somewhere in the world where these people sit and meet and discuss things and what's next to be canceled. Where in the world did they come up with the fact that Mr. Potato Head is no longer cool? I, I hadn't really thought about it, but this clearly is a first world problem if we have to worry about the gender of Mr. Potato Head. And, and keeping in mind that you know it wasn't long after Mr. Potato Head arrived that he, his wife was you know, brought into the scene too with you know obviously Mrs. Potato Head. <laughs> but obviously right now, neither one is cool. That's true. Should I tell uh, people about you uh, sending me a text message this weekend that you said that uh, you actually had relaxed this weekend and that you were a couch potato? And I asked if that was uh, had become gender neutral or not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, let's go ahead and jump in here. First thing, go to my website, Kim Munson, M-O-N-S-O-N dot com. Sign up for our weekly newsletter. You'll get first look at all of our most recent op-eds, our most recent podcasts. It was a really big week last week. We've got this great Rick Turnquist op-ed, The Myth of Government Benevolence. A really important piece. That's on my website now. And then last Thursday, I went up to Boulder and did a one-on-one -on -one interview with Professor John Eastman, uh, Trump's attorney. And it is powerful. To my knowledge, there is no other complete interview with John Eastman that's been done in the country. 
and uh, we went through uh, what he saw as far as election um, irregularities, his conversation January 4 with uh, Vice President Pence, Pence's general counsel, and his chief of staff, and Trump and Eastman were the five people in that conversation. Then January 6th, the breach of the Capitol, and then ultimately Professor Eastman being canceled by the University of Colorado. In fact, I did have uh, one listener that reached out and said that she uh, was going to send her diploma back (laughs) to the University of Colorado. Wow. (laughs) It is a, a very powerful interview. And it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out that social media is not going to allow this to be pushed out. So my friends, this needs to be done organically. You need to copy the link and then you need to send that to your sphere of influence so that the truth gets out on uh, John John Eastman's side of the story, Steve. Can I, you know, you didn't ask for this either, but <laughs> we have this thing now that we've started with uh, Patty, the bill of the day. Now I have both a snarky uh, response, but also one that verifies the usefulness of this. I'm my head is still spinning on Friday's the bill of the day where we talked about having to change out the wording illegal Ill, immigrant or I'm sorry illegal alien with worker without authorization. My head has been spinning all weekend mm-hmm. with that one. Mm-hmm. That's the snarky side. Now I have been in touch with both Friday night uh, dining out with friends, um, Saturday talking to a neighbor, yesterday at church. People who had no idea about that that particular bill. So you always remind me, this is why we do what we do. And it became so evident over this weekend. Right, to get our brains around these issues so that we can converse, just like you did with your friends and your family, about these important issues. And um, if you want to con- email me, email me at Kim at KimMunson.com as well. And thank you for your contributions to continue to support what we're doing here and keeping this independent voice alive. Let's, um, let's go ahead and jump over to our quote for the day. Since Will Trackman is in studio, I thought it appropriate, and, and uh, uh, he is standing up for our constitutional rights, to do a constitutional quote. And Alexander Hamilton wrote this in 1794, which was an essay in the American Daily Advisor. And he said, uh, Will, and we'll have you comment on this. If it be asked, what is the most sacred duty and the greatest source of our security in a republic? The answer would be an inviolable respect for the Constitution and laws, the first growing out of the last. A sacred respect for the constitutional law is the vital principle, the sustaining energy of a free government. Yeah, yeah. What's your thoughts on that, Will? Well, I'm not a big fan of everything that Hamilton said, actually. He was one of the uh, the proponents of a stronger federal government uh, mm-hmm. at the time. But that quote is absolutely terrific. And I think if you um, if you think about it, it's the, the whims of the day are always going to carry uh, some amount of power. But it's the Constitution, and the Constitution is written, that has to take precedence. And so no matter what the whim of the day is, no matter what the current elected leaders think we ought to do, it's the Constitution that requires us to adhere to the ideas of life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness. We the people, uh, in terms of creating our, our own government and making sure that we follow the articles in terms of the executive branch, the, the judicial branch, the legislative branch, you can't get around those regardless of the whims of the day. And you mentioned the whims of the day. I, that makes me move over to a living constitution. You know, there's this, mm-hmm. this rub between the originalists and this living constitution. And the living constitution 
um, what is that more based on like Supreme Court decisions mm-hmm. or how yeah. does that work exactly? Yeah, so a living constitutionalist thinks that you can interpret the words that were um, enacted in either 1789 or the 1860s after the Civil War with a more modern lens. So if some term of the Constitution gives a little bit of wiggle room, like due process, then you can go ahead and say, look, in terms of our modern day knowledge, we can imbue that term with extra meaning. And so we can we can strike new laws down because of what the Constitution means today as opposed to what the original meaning of the Constitution was, which is what originalists believe. People like Justice Scalia, Justice Thomas are originalists, and people like uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg were more living constitutionalists. Okay, I'm clearly an originalist because once you start to water down this fabulous document, the United States Constitution, when we talk about being a conservative, what that means is conserving this vision of the Declaration that all men are created equal with these rights from God of life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. And and that's worth conserving. And my understanding, and Will, you're the specialist on this, though, that, that the Constitution was really put in place to limit government so that that vision of the Declaration was true for every person. That's exactly right. And, and if you think about it, if, if the judges are going to decide based on their political preferences or what they ate for breakfast this morning, what actual constitutional rights are out there, then it's not fair to the um, the people who actually framed the Constitution. And it's not fair to the rest of us who need to rely on our elected officials. It just can't be that the judges who are appointed by the president and confirmed by the Senate get to make their own political preferences into law. And unfortunately, that's what we've seen a lot lately is that judges say, look, I have the power not only to rule, but to rule for the entire country. And that, that is my judgment, that I will go ahead and enjoin whatever this action is uh, for the entire nation, even if I'm just one judge sitting in one district court in the whole country. That seems very arrogant to me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you don't say. No. Yeah. Okay. Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, so one of the things that the, the left has done very well in terms of litigation is to find the most friendly judge in the most friendly district in the entire country and then ask for what's called a nationwide injunction. So with President Trump's orders, for instance, some suits were brought in Hawaii where they could could find a judge who was appointed by President Obama, had a pretty good chance that that judge was going to rule in their favor, and then ask the judge, can you prevent this policy from going into effect anywhere in the entire country? And the judge agreed and said, okay, everywhere in the entire United States, that policy is illegal. That's a tremendous amount of power. Yeah, yeah. The fact that Trump was able to get so many federal judges appointed, was that a big deal? That's a huge deal, yeah. Certainly one of the crowning successes of President Trump's presidency will be the long-lasting effect of his justices. Uh, not Sorry, not just the justices like uh, Brett Kavanaugh, Neil Gorsuch, Amy Coney Barrett, but also the lower court judges, the appellate court judges and the district court judges. Unfortunately, in in Colorado, we only got uh, one new district court judge, and we replaced obviously Neil Gorsuch. But uh, in in countries, in sorry, in states throughout the country, there are over two hundred new judicial appointments, and that's one of the crowning achievements of the Trump presidency. Okay, well, Trackman, we're going to go to break here and come back and continue our conversations. Before we do that, though, a couple of my great partners are first of all Hooters restaurants. Um, love their smoked wings. They're half the calories. And I'm trying this new lemon rub smoked wings now when the girls come over. And they are really delicious. There are five locations. That's Lone Tree, Westminster, Aurora, Colorado Springs, and Loveland. And all of their specials are on my website. 
you can go to my website and just uh, click on sponsors and then the Hooters landing page. And it's important. It's time to get together with friends and family. It's been too long, and they have all kinds of specials, to-go specials, lunch specials, kids eat free, party pack, happy hour. So go to my website. That's Kim Munson, M-O-N-S-O-N.com, and you can find all their specials there. And another great partner of mine is Castlegate Knife and Tool. I mentioned last week, Steve, that I had really, really old skis when I first started to ski. In fact, I was getting on a ski lift, and somebody said to me, those should be in the Smithsonian. And when I got new skis, I realized that the right tool and the right uh, equipment makes the job a lot easier. And that's why Castlegate Knife and Tool is the place for you to go for all of, uh, all of your tools and all of your knives there, Steve. Have you been out there yet? I know you're going to head out there one of these days. I got really close the other month, but the, uh, my better half kind of said, let's, you know, in terms of she changed the, uh, uh, the path home, which... You know, I was going to go right up from <laughs> Castle Rock, right up 85. And uh, anyway, we ended up going up 25. So I missed it. Okay. Well, they are located in Sedalia, Colorado, in the old bank building. Uh, they're a family owned business. And check out castlegate.com. That's castlegate.com for more information. We'll be right back with Will Trackman. With the federal government printing money, it looks like inflation is on the horizon. That is why you should lock in a low rate now on your mortgage. Lauren Levy with Polygon Financial Group is here to help. Lauren works with a variety of lenders to assist you in finding the mortgage that is just right for you. Locking in a low rate now will save you thousands of dollars over the life of your loan. Don't procrastinate. Don't wait any longer. Call Lauren today at 303-880-8881. That's 303-880-8881. All of Kim's sponsors are an inclusive partnership with Kim and are not affiliated with or in partnership with KLZ or Crawford Broadcasting. If you would like to support the work of the Kim Munson Show and grow your business, contact Kim at her website, KimMunson.com. That's Kim Munson, M-O-N-S-O-N.com. And welcome back to the Kim Munson Show. Check out my website. That's Kim Munson, M-O-N-S-O-N.com, and sign up for our weekly newsletter there. Uh, thrilled to have in studio with me Will Trackman. Uh, he is with Mountain States Legal Foundation and uh, working to stand up for our constitutional rights. It's great to have you here. Thanks, Kim. It's great to be here. And we'll delve into some of the things that you're really working on in segments three and four. Before we do that, though, our bill of the day that we need to low light is Senate Bill 21034. It is a water resource financing enterprise. And it's concerning the creation of an enterprise that is exempt from the requirements of Section 20 of Article 10, that's TAPER, Colorado's Taxpayer Bill of Rights, of the state constitution to administer a fee-based water resources financing plan. Now, once again, a fee uh, is the word that they're using to get around TAPER uh, because with any new tax, uh, actually, uh, we are asking, it's an amendment to the Constitution that says to PBIs, politicians, bureaucrats, and interested parties, if you want to raise our taxes, you just have to have the good manners to ask us and get our permission. But now they use the word fee instead. And uh, it's a bill being sponsored by Republican Senator Don Corum. And it says it would provide financing to water providers for a myriad th- of things. It does lack the support by some who would otherwise support an idea for more revenue to fund water storage in Colorado. The biggest issue with Senate Bill 21034, uh, brought by the Southwestern Colorado Senator, is it proposes a new enterprise fund 
funded by a new fee that detractors see as being in conflict with the Taxpayers' Bill of Rights. And uh, uh, Marty Nielsen with the Colorado Union of Taxpayers says, we haven't had a chance to look at the bill yet, so our board hasn't taken a formal, formal position. But just hearing the first sentence, I can tell you it is not something we will support. And uh, I find this extremely frustrating uh, that there is a, a bipartisan effort to get around having the good manners to ask the people of Colorado if um, taxes should be increased by uh, this is really an end run uh, regarding this fee. Is, any comment on that, Will Tracklin? Well, you just said a mouthful, Kim. I, I, I'm not completely sure what the bill is actually going to be doing. But obviously, if it undermines Tabor and increases taxes, I can I can count on my opposition <laughs> to, to that sort of thing. You know, when people say, uh, you know, I, I like living in Colorado, but I, I just don't like the, the taxes. I say, you know what? Um, there's a solution to that. <laughs> Oppose them. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's for sure. And stand against this whole end run thing around these fees and setting up these enterprise zones. Just a note on that. Uh, I uh, regarding the potential increase of the fee on your uh, your gallon of gas. Uh, they actually what they may do is roll that fee into an existing enterprise that is out there. So that because we did pass, um, I can't remember if it was an amendment or not, or, but we passed it this last election cycle. That I think it was an amendment. I can't remember. One sixteen. Yeah, where uh, where um, any enterprise that or any fee that um, generates more than a hundred million dollars over a period of five years then the people of Colorado have to ask that as well. But uh, Patty was on this. She's like, they'll just do different enterprises or here they're going to want to put that uh, potential gas fee into an existing enterprise. And on that note, Steve, did you notice that one of the gas stations where we drive in, that gas was two seventy-five a gallon? Yeah. Um, I, I think we're talking about the same gas station. Uh, but, uh, but I use it as a reference. January 3rd, whatever the first Monday was of the year, it was $1.99, and whatever it was this morning, it was two. I think if the one I was looking at was two fifty nine. So, yeah, you do the math. It's, the one on the right was two seventy five. But so just you know, think about that. They've that, already it, jumped in and said, wait a minute, we shut down so many refineries in Texas because of the cold weather. That's what's doing it. I think you guys are too quick to jump on any particular excuse that may or may not be what's really happening. Mm-hmm. I still think the Keystone Pipeline it has a lot to do Probably with it. Probably has a lot to do with that, and then also Joe Biden's policies on that as well. Wanted to hit one other headline, and this is from Complete Colorado, and this is by Will Johnson, and he says, What's no place for hate actually teaching Colorado kids? It says, Coloradans agree that schools should be no place for hate. We should foster bravery and respect and reject bullying and racism. Cultivating such a school climate helps children reach their full potential, a goal we all recognize has lifelong benefits. Well, how do we achieve these shared goals? A program called No Place for Hate, also known as NPFH, is being implemented in more than 70 K-12 Colorado schools, including 35 in Douglas County. There are certainly uh, some things to like about the program, such as condemning bullying and bias and promoting empathy. But below the surface, parents in our community should be aware of causes for concern, reasons to question whether this program is accomplishing what we think it is. And uh, going on down here, it says, 
Uh, um, this is from the Anti-Defamation League. Uh, they're keeping a watchful eye on these schools as we move toward universal consciousness. Now, that's one of the first things, Will Trackman, that I would be concerned about is universal consciousness. Well, so you mentioned my employer, Mountain States Legal Foundation. Let me just say we're a conservative 501c3 nonprofit. We don't take positions on political issues or candidates. Uh, We litigate the Constitution. So when I talk about these issues, I'm talking in my my, my personal capacity. I just left the Department of Education working for Secretary DeVos, and we started to see some very troubling things occurring in the country that we ended up opening investigations on. Uh, Things like teaching that uh, white students couldn't say the N-word, but black students could. Things like saying critical race theory means that white people are responsible for police brutality or uh, oppression, uh, and that whites need to go to white accountability training. Actual instances of race segregation in uh, college campuses. So white resident advisors were given one training involving microaggressions and how systemic racism is in their hearts and training for any non-white resident assistant. So when when we started this program, we stood up for the national anthem and we stood tall because we agree with the Constitution and the 14th Amendment that talks about equal protection for all of us, regardless of race. And we saw in the 50s the Brown v. Board of Education decision where segregation is not not permissible under the Constitution. And yet here we have a situation where education is bringing back segregation and bringing back race discrimination. And I have some concerns. You know, you mentioned the Anti-Defamation League. I've been to some of their events. I know some of their staff people in Colorado, all very great people personally. But when we talk about universal consciousness or recognizing inequity or inequality, I start to worry that those are buzzwords that are just going to get us back into more race consciousness, more slicing and dicing of Americans. And it's something that we need to avoid and resist. That isn't the way that our education system ought to operate. And it isn't the way that we ought to be uh, teaching our children. Look, if you have one skin color, you have certain attributes. And if you have a different skin color, you have different attributes. And you have to live up to those attributes because of your skin color. It doesn't make any sense to me. It's offensive, personally. And coming from the Department of Education, it's really troubling. It's not just Colorado. It's throughout the country where um, diversity, equity, these sort of buzzwords are getting people into very dangerous modes of education that we ought to resist. Uh, Will Trackman, I find it really troubling when we start to identify and look at people as groups instead of individuals. And that's what I see is happening with this kind of activity in our schools and uh, 72 different schools 35 of them in Douglas County are are teaching this and what happens is we no longer look for the merit of an individual the meritocracy but instead look at that group so maybe let's keep that as our cliffhanger before we move into the next segment on the line with us is Jason McBride senior VP with Presidential Wealth Management? Uh, Jason McBride, happy Monday. Uh, what is the uh, markets looking at today? Well, it looks like we're going to have a, a pretty decent open, Kim. But boy, it's been a little bit tough the last couple of days. The Dow was down uh, almost 500 on Friday. Uh, that was after being down over 500 on Thursday. And the NASDAQ, uh, you know, Thursday had a, a rough day, uh, down about 478. And then Friday, it looked like it was going to try to 
recover, but it ended up only about 72 points and still closed below its 50-day moving average, which could be considered, you know, intermediate-term support. So uh, we've had a couple of days where we've started fairly strong here recently and then kind of faded out by the end of the day. But the House, uh, you know, did pass the $1.9 trillion spending bill I see in the headlines. So that could be part of the reason that the futures are up this morning with the market expecting, you know, another hit on the crack pipe, so to speak. Pardon my French. Oh, my gosh. I tell you, uh, and we'll probably try to maybe go through this tomorrow, but all of the stuff in this $1.9 trillion uh, Bill, I guess there's a whole bunch of money for the California uh, bullet train. I mean, there's all a, a pension bailouts, all kinds of stuff that has nothing to do with uh, COVID and a relief there. And government caused this problem. And now uh, government says that they want to print a bunch of money to solve that problem. And Jason, you mentioned the market's gotten knocked around probably about a thousand points the last couple of days. And people may have been thinking about, oh, I was going to move some money into cash, but now that the market's down a little bit, I'm not sure that I will. Remember, buying low and selling high, if you can get that sweet spot in the middle, you can never hit the exact bottom or the exact top, but if you can get that sweet spot, that's the place to be. And people may want to sit down and talk with you because there's still a pretty good sweet spot with uh, as high as the market is right now, Jason. Well, it's still pretty darn close to the highs, Kim, and if it ends up going uh, significantly lower, I would think people would feel pretty happy about uh, moving some of their risk off the table at these levels. Of course, you know, everybody's going to have a different situation, but you're right, Kim, the oldest adage in the market is buy low, sell high, and you're never going to know exactly where the exact top was until after it's happened. So uh, nobody should be hard on themselves or kicking themselves ever if they miss uh, the exact top and let a small problem turn into a much bigger one. And that's why sitting down with you and doing a uh, an assessment would be a really good idea. How can people reach you? Kim, just give us a call. We're open for business, uh, ready for face-to-face appointments. Our number is 303 694 1600. That's 303 694 1600. Jason McBride, we will talk to you tomorrow. Have a great show, Kim. Thanks so much. We're going to go to break. When we come back, we'll continue our conversation with Will Trackman. He is in studio. He is with Mountain States Legal Foundation, and uh, he is in the in the business. I, I guess it's not a business. It's a nonprofit, but what <laughs> you're doing is trying to protect our constitutional exactly. rights. Exactly. So, so we'll be right back. Home ownership and private property rights help you build wealth for you and your family. REMAX Alliance award-winning realtor Karen Levine understands this. Supply is super tight right now. This is why you need a seasoned professional with excellent negotiating skills on your side of the table, whether buying or selling an existing home or buying a new build. As a member of the National Association of Realtors Board of Directors, Karen Levine volunteers hours of her time to help you build your American dream. Call her today at 303-877-7516. Again, that's 303-877-7516. You'd like to get in touch with one of Kim Munson's sponsors, but you can't recall their phone number. Find a full list of advertising partners on Kim's website, kimmunson.com. That's Kim, M-O-N-S-O-N.com. 
Welcome back to the Kim Munson Show. I am Kim Munson. Be sure and check out our website. That is Kim Munson, M-O-N-S-O-N.com. Sign up for our weekly newsletter there. Uh, you'll get first look at all of our upcoming guests and our podcasts. And you can email me at Kim at KimMunson.com as well. Go to my website and uh, be sure and check out the podcast with Professor John Eastman. I recorded it last week, went up to Boulder. We had just a face-to-face. To my knowledge, there is no other complete uh, conversation with him that's been done in the country. And as you know, he's Trump's attorney. And it is, it's a little over an hour long, so don't let that um, scare you off because every minute is so important. He goes through election irregularities, meeting uh, January 4th between President Trump and Vice P- uh, President Pence, January 6th, breach of the Capitol, and then ultimately being canceled by the University of Colorado. So be sure and check that out. In studio with me is Will Trackman. He's Associate General Counsel for Mountain States Legal Foundation, where he's protecting our rights to live freely and securely under the U.S. Constitution. Will, I wanted to just go back to this piece that we were talking about, this No Place for Hate, or NPFH. And one of the things that it says there, it says um, that uh, the Anti-Defamation League, they have a supplied curriculum and students must complete three approved activities throughout the year. For example, K through two students, kindergarten through second grade, are learning about the cycle of inequality and that racism means the disrespect, harm, and mistreatment of people of color based on ideas that white people deserve to be in charge and treated better. Middle schoolers consider the extent to which dress codes unfairly target certain identity groups and analyze their differences in the identity iceberg and high schoolers explore how microaggressions are pervasive in everyday life. They delve into the pyramid of hate, which states that oppression is prevalent in our society and seems to imply that not being aware of privilege can lead on a continuum to genocide. Do you want to co- comment on sure, that at all? Sure. <laughs> well, like, like I said, you know, the Anti-Defamation League does some good work. I've met some other people. They're good people personally. There is a difference between opposing racism and opposing prejudice and then what you just described in terms of recognizing something that about systemic inequality, how white people are in charge or white people are oppressing people of color. And I object uh, at, at the ground level to the phrase people of color. You know, all of us have skin. All of, all of our skins have a color. I think it's unfortunate that we would slice and dice the American public by saying, well, there's whites on the one hand and then there are people of color on the other hand. We saw a uh, school district in California that couldn't even decide whether Asian Americans were people of color or not because Asian Americans disproportionately do well on testing and uh, college admissions. So some school district in California said, you know what, on, on the non-color side, we'll go ahead and put Asians along with, with whites. So these sorts of phrases are designed to divide us. In terms of the broader goal, again, there's a difference between saying, look, racism is wrong, uh, treating people differently on the basis of their skin color is wrong, And on the other hand, saying there is some sort of systemic issue where white people need to recognize guilt or recognize that they are oppressing people of color. And but look at this, this this whole curriculum by the Anti-Defamation League is defining people by color and uh, trying to put people in groups, which I think that'll move to our next subject, and that is meritocracy. So if you are Let's say that you uh, are a poor white that uh, is trying to work hard and better yourself, and you get to a point where, because of your skin color, 
you can't get out of that particular group. But over here, because you have a different skin color, you are you don't have to maybe work as hard to get that promotion or get that job. And we're kind of seeing that play out in uh, one of the cases that you're working on at Mountain State's Legal Foundation. Yeah, well, th- thank you for that segue, Kim. That's that's perfect. So we uh, we have a case at Mountain State's Legal Foundation against the Federal Aviation Administration. Uh, and in in the FAA, they had in 2014, this is way back during the Obama era, one, one thing about legal cases is that they take years <laughs> to complete. So we're talking about 2014-ish uh, terms. And the Obama administration changed the uh, traffic controller uh, application test. And one thing that they did was they took what was essentially a race-neutral test and gerrymandered it so that they fi- they figured they would create a more diverse, quote-unquote diverse, uh, applicant pool so they could get a higher level of minorities in terms of air traffic controllers. That is completely contrary to everything that you would think you want in an air traffic controller. You you aren't really caring what the what the skin color of the person who who leads your plane into the airplane uh, is, right? You want the best person for the job. And so Mountain States has brought a Title VII claim, which is a statute that protects employees from race discrimination against the FAA, arguing that the way that they gerrymandered this test was itself race discrimination. They wanted a different pool in terms of skin color of applicants. And we've sued in in Washington, D.C. The case has been going on for a couple of years. But underlying the case is the fundamental principle that merit is what ought to drive these decisions. Again, an air traffic controller who's competent and can do a good job uh, is the one that you want in the seat, regardless of what their skin color may be at the end of the day. It doesn't make sense to say, well, we're going to give certain people certain jobs because of their skin color. That just shouldn't be a part of the equation. I've heard the term, the soft bigotry of low expectations. And that's what I see playing out here, is it's basically saying if your skin color is a certain tone, then, I mean, it's almost like it's saying that you don't have the capability of striving for excellence and and, and the merit of that. I, I find that, that that's actually, I think, the somewhat, uh, uh, it's bigotry, I think. Yeah, I mean, I, I hope that, that it's not true at the end of the day that, that there is, you know, more bigotry because of these race-conscious ideas. What I tend to focus on is the idea that we are a nation of people who, who are created equal. And if anything, we want to move away from treating skin color as determinative. You know, we, Absolutely. We, we have court cases from the 50s and 60s saying your skin color is irrelevant. The Constitution is colorblind. We hope to achieve a, situ- a, a situation where... Your race is as important as your eye color or your hair color, where it has no salience. And yet all of a sudden we're encouraging employers, encouraging schools, encouraging uh, localities and other forms of government to focus more on race and to focus more on the the non-meritorious aspect of an individual. It really doesn't make sense to me from a public policy standpoint, on a fairness standpoint, on a constitution standpoint. Why would we be emphasizing the very characteristic that caused such tremendous harm and damage to our country 100 and 200 years ago? One other question on this, I was thinking about this this weekend, is as America is this big melting pot, and we do have people of all different uh, races, and, and at some point in time, whites may actually be in a minority. 
what would happen to all these crazy laws when they're talking about minorities and ethnic groups when uh, whites would possibly be in the minority? Yeah, I don't know. We may we may see may see that day. You know, I'm, not, I'm again, I'm not too concerned as long as there's no race discrimination, whether whites are in a minority or not. Uh, I do think that phrases like the word minority mm-hmm. are going to have to change, and we're seeing that toward a move to people of color. Uh, but you know, we'll see. I, I guess in however many, okay. however however many years, um, whites may be a minority, but it it ought not matter. You know, exactly. If race is irrelevant, then whether we're, whether whites are in a minority or not uh, will not matter. Well, Trackman, I felt that we had been making great progress on this big melting pot. Uh, and and really moving away from seeing people, uh, defining them by their descriptor. We have descriptors, but but not defining people by that. And I thought we were making a lot of great progress on that. And then it seems like, gosh, within the last, what, eight years or something, this has just really got, come to the forefront. Yeah. So, so Kim, I'm, I'm Jewish. My family is Jewish. I come from a Jewish background. And we saw this sort of um, individual on individual hatred that can come uh, in the past against Jews. And that sort of thing worries me. It worries the Anti-Defamation League as well. And yet at the same time, we're trying to focus on these personal characteristics that aren't related to merit, that aren't related to how successful someone can be in school or on the job. And it really doesn't make sense to me why we would say, let's return to the idea that someone's skin color or their religion or not non-meritorious aspects of their personality are so are so relevant and so important and so salient that we need to focus on them. And I completely agree with you in terms of we're a melting pot. We are all Americans, and we need to focus on our shared commonalities between us. Because if we start slicing and dicing Americans and saying you hate us, you're responsible for this, I owe, I am owed this, or I am entitled to something, then you start to see individual against individual. Uh, You know, I certainly don't feel guilty for uh, oppression. I certainly don't feel guilty for systemic racism. And that's the sort of attitude I feel like a lot of people have. I'm not personally involved in whatever oppression you think that you're facing right now. And let's just be together as Americans and support the country and support our constitution. Let's stand tall for the flag and stand tall for the continual improvement of the country. Well, and once again, it goes to this idea of the declaration that all men are created equal with these rights from God of life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. Where are you at on this case then right now regarding the FAA? Yeah, so we will be, um, we're in the middle of what's called class certification process. I I won't bother you with the details of Rule 23 of the Mm -hmm. Federal Rules of Civil Procedure. But if you're looking for some good bedtime reading, I can can show you where it is. So the way that works is we we have a client, and uh, because this was a broad policy that applies to uh, any number of FAA applicants, we're going to be seeking certification to apply to the entire group. So that'll uh, that'll happen sometime, sometime in the future. And then from there, you have to litigate the actual merits of the issue with the government. So it'll, again, litigation can take years. Oh it's one, one of the problems with uh, resolving things through the court system. So we'll see. It, it, um, it, may, it may be a while before it's, uh, before it's finally resolved. Okay. Well, let's go to break, Will Trackman. When we come back, let's talk about some of the other cases that you have uh, before you that you're working on with Mountain States Legal Foundation. This is Kim Munson. Stay tuned. 
Controlling your own destiny. There are a lot of unknowns on the horizon with the new administration. Predovich and Company is here to help trusted professionals for all your bookkeeping, tax planning, and accounting needs. Kim Munson highly recommends Predovich and Company. They've been helping her for years. Because of their advanced technological capabilities, Predovich and Company works with clients from anywhere in the United States. Give them a call at 303-791-3000 to put Predovich and Company to work for you. Call 303-791-3000 today. Would you have ever dreamed that freedom of speech, freedom of thought, freedom of assembly, and freedom of religion would be under assault and attack in America? Unbelievably, it is happening right before our eyes. That is why it is important to keep free-thinking, independent voices on the airwaves, the Internet, and social media. Kim Munson is one of those important voices. Help her keep independence alive. Go to KimMunson.com to contribute to join Kim in the battle of ideas raging in America today. That's Kim Munson, M-O-N-S-O-N dot com. Welcome back to the Kim Munson Show. I am Kim Munson. Be sure and check out our website. That's Kim Munson, M-O-N-S-O-N dot com. Sign up for our weekly newsletter there. And you can email me at Kim at Kim Munson dot com as well. Thrilled to have in studio with me Will Trackman. He is the Associate General Counsel for Mountain States Legal Foundation. And what they do is they protect our rights to live freely and securely under the U.S. Constitution. Will Trackman, it's great having you here. We just had talked about this case that you're working on regarding the FAA, uh, where instead of uh, people getting a job based on their merits, it's going to be based on possibly skin color. And so that's going through the courts or the process right now. Yes, yes. I mean, the good news is that uh, once some light shone on this test that the FAA decided, you know, this probably isn't the best idea to hire based on skin color. So they've since changed it. But of course, all these people were injured in the meantime who took the old test and may have aged out of the application oh. process. And and you can age out of that, huh? Yeah, oh. yeah, I know. Okay. Let's talk about, what's the next case you want to talk about? Sure. So we've got a number. So let me back up a little bit. So the Mountain States Legal Foundation was founded in the 1970s. We're in Denver. We're based on the ethic of the Mountain West, on protecting farmers and ranchers and grazers. Uh, so our, our background is often in natural resources cases, cases about land use, about property rights, about making sure that people can access the minerals on their property and making sure that the government doesn't interfere with property rights. So we have a number of cases involving environmentalists who sued either the Obama administration or the Trump administration, and we intervened in the case to protect property owners. So those could be about an individual who is grazing on federal land and the environmentalists sue the federal government and say, prevent these these. Uh, farmers or ranchers from letting their animals graze on public land. And then we intervene to protect the property rights of the actual people who have rights involved. Those cases are ongoing. The problem right now with the Biden administration is the potential for what's called sue and settle, Mm -hmm. where the environmentalists sue the government and they have a friendly agency, suppose at the Department of Interior or the Environmental Protection Agency, And that agency cries uncle right away and says, you know what? You're right, environmentalists. Uh, You can have your way. We'll settle with you. You win. And by the way, we'll pay your attorney's fees. And uh, would you like some additional money uh, to fund your operations going forward? And so that is a big deal. And we're going to be seeing that over the next four years. Uh, You know, Mountain States Legal Foundation can intervene. We can object 
to those sorts of collusive settlements and try to stop them. But we're going to see that issue in a lot of ways with the Biden executive agencies. You know, the Trump administration, we actually litigated our cases. When Secretary DeVos was sued, I would have liked nothing more than to say, you know, an individual trying to deprive uh, Harvard or NYU of federal funds, let's go ahead and and just take them. But obviously, we're not going to do that. We're going to litigate the cases and make sure that Secretary DeVos was, um, was vindicated in court. We might not see that with the Biden administration. We might just see these agencies saying, we forfeit, go ahead, you can go ahead and, uh, and take away the rights of these property owners to graze or to have their natural resources on their land. Well, and the other component of it is, is also then, basically, it's taking taxpayers' money, or when we're printing money, money from our next generations, and giving it to these environmental groups, which then they continue to fund this. Yeah. And and it's, it's expensive. Legal, yeah. I mean, it's really, really expensive. Uh, and property rights, just a quick question. You mentioned property rights of a farmer or of a rancher that might be grazing on federal land. How, since it's federal land, how does that work from a property rights standpoint? Because it's federal land, but, yeah. so explain that. Right. So a, a lot of courts don't recognize uh, the right to graze as an invested property right. Uh, some states do. I think Idaho may recognize that as an invested property right. But here, the situation is where the government has already granted a grazing permit to a property owner. So okay. they've already said, we've done the analysis, we've done, we've checked uh, how things are going to work, and it's okay, you can go ahead and graze. And it's the environmentalists challenging the government's decision, saying you made the wrong decision there's too much impact on a species, there's too much am- impact on wildlife, there's too much impact on the grass. So you need to go back and change your decision to take away that right. Uh, and we get involved in those cases okay. and say, the government already did that. We, You're right, legal fees are very expensive. Uh, we don't charge our clients. Uh, so uh, you can go on to our website at mslegal.org. You can see all of our cases and there's description. You can get involved uh, on, on the website. And yeah, if you've got a good case, come to us with it, because we definitely take cases uh, from the public, and we want to know if there are rights violations going out there. Okay, a big one that looks like it might be uh, happening, and that is our Second Amendment rights. Are you doing anything in that arena? Absolutely. So uh, the Mountain States Legal Foundation, which I mentioned has been around since the 70s, just in 2020 started the Center for Keep and Bear Arms. So the Second Amendment is one of the what I call the three legs of the stool at Mountain States Legal Foundation. Those aren't my cases, but those are cases that we're litigating right now. We're hoping that the Supreme Court, the U.S. Supreme Court, will take up one of the numerous cases that are pending before it. They haven't currently taken up one of those Second Amendment cases. But that's an issue that is rife for uh, controversy and also disputes because people are not sure how far those rights extend right now. We had a couple of good cases in 2008 and a little bit after that talking about the fundamental right to bear to, to own and bear arms, but we don't know how far that extends yet. And so the Supreme Court has to step in and resolve that. I'm very concerned about this, and we're seeing this with um, what's happening in Washington, D.C., but we've also seen, uh, I think, this assault on our Second Amendment rights here in, in Colorado as well. Um, with the red flag law that yeah. was was passed, um, really, if if 
everyday hardworking people, they're not the ones that you really need to worry about uh, misusing a firearm. It's the bad guys. But what this looks like, all this, th- these different actions are going are actually trying to prevent. Uh, law-abiding citizens from accessing their firearms and their ammunition. Your comment on that? Yeah. Well, one thing that the Center to Keep and Bear Arms did was sue the governor of not Colorado, but of New Mexico, who tried to impose COVID-19 restrictions on firearm sales, which I thought was interesting. You know, if Hmm. if there's one thing that you think, you know, we got to stop a deadly pandemic, what do we do? Well, let's end the firearm sales and the ammunition sales. It didn't really make sense, so uh, Center to Keep and Bear Arms sued, and eventually the governor of New Mexico backed down. But uh, it goes to show, you know, never let a crisis go to waste in terms of the mentality of trying to shut down our Second Amendment rights. Now, luckily, that crisis appears to be over, but we don't know. There could be other opportunities for uh, governors in the future to try to say, you know, we're doing, we see a crisis right now with um, shootings or violence, Let's go ahead and shut down gun stores or ammunition oh. sales. Yeah, yeah. Oh. I wouldn't put it past some of these governors. <laughs> We've got uh, really a couple of minutes left, Will Trackman. What is uh, kind of the final thought the, uh, that you'd like to leave with our listeners today? Well, I, you know, I want to go back to the issue that we were talking about in terms of race. So uh, we will be filing a brief hopefully in the next month uh, in the case against Harvard that hopefully will go to the U.S. Supreme Court involving their affirmative action preferences uh, for uh, African-American students and Hispanic students, and actually even in, in terms of the allegations, maybe even white students, uh, which you think that's funny. Why would Harvard be giving a preference to white students? And that's because Asian-Americans uh, are the ones that are targeted by this um, preference system. Really? Yeah, so the, the Asian-American groups uh, are uh, noticing that their numbers in terms of uh, their admission statistics, so in terms of the number of people who apply versus the number of people who get accepted, they're actually better for whites and obviously um, better for Hispanics and better for African Americans than they are for Asians. And so Asian Americans are noticing, look, we're the victims of this affirmative action policy. And so they've brought suit um, against Harvard. Unfortunately, they've lost in the Massachusetts courts, but they're going, they've requested review by the Supreme Court and we'll be weighing in in favor in what's called a friend of the court brief in terms of that the Supreme Court ought to take the case and reevaluate its affirmative action law. Boy, that is absolutely fascinating. And, and I guess Asian Americans many times, uh, I mean, they just work really hard academically. And so they're now being uh, possibly uh, um, Discriminated against, I guess, huh? Well, lots of people work hard regardless of their race, yeah. regardless of their skin color. The, the Good issue, point. Thank yeah, you. <laughs> yeah. So the, the issue in the case is that um, if you are an Asian American with a perfect SAT score and a perfect GPA, you still may not get into Harvard. On the other hand, if you are of a different race and you have those numbers, your odds of getting into Harvard are much, much higher. Okay. And so the, the strange thing is that um, they do these personality and character interviews, and it seems like Asian Americans consistently score lower on personality interviews, and that is just a vehicle for race discrimination is what the allegation in the case oh is. Oh, my gosh. Okay, Will Trackman, it's been great having you here. How Thank can you. people get more information? Well, definitely check out our website, mslegal.org. You're welcome to uh, get involved, look at our cases, send us ideas for cases. You're welcome to call or email 
at any time, and we want to hear from you. We certainly want the community in Colorado to get involved. We've been in Denver for almost 50 years now, and we plan to be here a long time. It's great having you here, Will. Thanks so much. And our quote for today is from Alexander Hamilton. He said, the aim of every political constitution is, or ought to be, first to obtain for rulers men who possess most wisdom to discern and most virtue to pursue the common good of the society, and in the next place to take the most effectual precautions for uh, for keeping them virtuous whilst they continue to hold their public trust. And that's from Federalist Number 57, written in 1788. My friends today, be grateful, read great books, think good thoughts, listen to beautiful music, communicate and listen well, live honestly and authentically, strive for high ideals, and like Superman, stand for truth, justice, and the American way. My friends, you are not alone. God bless you, and God bless America. Don't want no one to cry, but tell them.